Good morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Good to have you with us. Wholeness in a Broken World is our current teaching series. Kicked it off last weekend. We talked about brokenness. If you weren't here, didn't get a chance to listen to it, I'd encourage you to go online and, and listen to that. And our, our text this morning is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, follow along. We'll be dissecting those verses, talking about truth, and you'll see why here in just a few moments. Um, we live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering. Would you guys agree with that? It's all around us, and none of us are exempt. The question is, how are you going to respond how are you going to respond to the sin and suffering that we're surrounded by, the brokenness in our world? And uh, there's only really two choices. Uh, we started this last week. This is a four-week series, and so each week I'll bring to you this chart. It's on your notes there, and uh, you can see it up on top there behind me. And so you really only have two choices. As you face brokenness in your life, uh, when I talk about brokenness and the sin and suffering, I'm talking about not only the sins that we have committed, but the sins that have been committed against us. So how are you going to respond? And you've got the high road, low road. The high road is, really starts with truth, truth about who God is and who you are in light of what God says, and that will inevitably lead to receiving His forgiveness, giving forgiveness. You'll be a forgiving person, and then love. And love, obviously, will bring about uh, healthy relationships, uh, life, freedom. But the low road is about lies, lies about God, lies about, about you. How many have noticed in our culture today there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories all around us? And I, I see a lot of people and even Christians getting drawn off by a lot of crazy nonsense. And uh, so we're surrounded with lies all around us, but, but in particular, the enemy tries to come after us with lies about God and about who we are. And these lies will lead to unforgiveness and then bitterness, broken relationships, death, and ultimately bondage. And it's your choice. How are you going to respond? And um, here's the thesis statement for our study this morning. It should be there on your notes. If we don't apply the truth of God's Word to the painful thoughts and emotions that result from our woundedness, so our woundedness produces painful thoughts and emotions. We're going to talk about how we deal with those this morning. But if I don't apply God's truth to the painful thoughts and emotions in my life that have come from my brokenness or woundedness, then I will end up on the low road hurting myself and others unnecessarily. I'll naturally, by default, will go that low road. And, and that's, that's what I often see people do. I often will try to take that route also, as many of you do also. It's, it's kind of the default mode of the human heart. But it's very supernatural to take the high road of truth, forgiveness, love. In fact, you know, you know you're on the high road when no matter what you go through, no matter what kind of brokenness, that you, your capacity to love God and love others just seems to continue to increase. That's when you know you're on the right road. And so what's fascinating about this, uh, these verses and, and understanding the context of these verses 
2 Corinthians 10, it's a great chapter because Paul is dealing with false accusations. He's, he's, he's dealing with relational issues, relational problems, even within the church. And he's really showing us how do you deal with relational issues or attacks or, or false accusations or the conflict that oftentimes rises within our relationships, whether they be in our home, our marriage, or in our church. And he starts, and, he, and you know that by reading verses 1 and 2. We didn't read those verses, but you can read verses 1 and 2. And, and he, so he's walking us through, how do you deal with this? And so he starts in verses 1 and 2, basically saying, follow Christ's example of humble confidence. And then in verses 3 through 5, which is our text, he says, fight with spiritual weapons. And you're going, whoa, whoa, wait, to deal with physical relationships? Yeah, there's a spiritual war going on, and as you will see. And so you, you have to have spiritual weapons. And then verses 6 through 11, he talks about being confident in your calling. Verses 12 through 16 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Um, 12, uh, 12 through 16 says, don't compare yourself with others. And then uh, verses 17 through 18, boast in the Lord and let him commend you. All of really good advice. We're just focusing on verses 3 through 5, fight with spiritual weapons. So here's the three big ideas you can see there on your notes that we're going to look at this morning. Life is a spiritual war. The battleground are strongholds. Strongholds are destroyed by God's word or God's power. So if you're going to experience wholeness in a broken world, you need to know this. And so here's the first one. Let's talk about life is a spiritual war. Look at verses 3 through 4. For though we walk in the flesh, so he's talking about this physical realm of us interacting with one another. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So he's saying really here that there's something going on below the surface of our relational issues. And he uses the word flesh three times, the physical realm. And here's the first uh, fill in the blank on your notes, first point. So we're talking life is a spiritual war. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. And, uh, but can they be acting like the enemy? Can they act like the enemy? Yes, absolutely. How many by show of hands would say that there's people in your, in your family that from time to time act like the enemy? Show of hands. Okay, okay. Don't point them out in here. Okay. How, how many would say that you're sitting right next? No, never mind. Uh, no, I mean, we can all do that. We can all fall, fall prey to that. So people are not the enemy. So don't attack people. Attack the problem. That's where we get, kind of get confused here. Can they be used by the enemy? Yes. Can they be enslaved by the enemy? Yes. But people are not the enemy. Um, so it goes much deeper. I mean, if you came to me, you came to any, uh, you know, the Trucellas, they could walk you through uh, conflict resolution skills, um, communication skills. That would be all wonderful. That's great. But you've got to understand, the battle's not over. There's a much deeper battle going on in your marriage relationship, in your home, and all around us. And that's, that's the point. And they're, they're not the enemy, but there is an enemy. And it's important to see that. In fact, here's the next fill in the blank on your notes. Behind the scenes, aggravating the flesh and blood evil. 
Society and sinful nature, that's the flesh and blood evil, is something that is not flesh and blood. That's, that's Satan. So for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 gives us our three enemies. Anybody know what our three enemies are? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what our three enemies are. If you have notes in front of you, the answer is right there on your notes on that point. But what are, what are our three enemies? Okay, society. How many would agree with me by show of hands that our society's values are contrary to the values of, of God and the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of our enemies. The other enemy is our own personal sinful nature. We are born, uh, we are born with this sinful nature and we're sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible says that. We're contending with this. That's why we need God to, to bring freedom to our lives in that area. But what's agitating society and our sinful nature? Something much deeper, and that's Satan. That's the third enemy. In fact, this is how Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 puts it. It says this. It's kind of a war cry. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. He has schemes. He's coming against you. He's coming after you. He's trying to take you down. And you've got to be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not in the physical. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, my wife and I, when we started facing these issues here in our church over the last, uh, particularly over the last six months, we sought counseling because we wanted to make sure that we were healthy, we were responding appropriately. We want to, want to do everything that's consistent with what the Bible teaches and, and give glory to God. And so as we were working through this, the counselor, when we sat down with her and we were talking to her, we began to describe a little bit of what was going on within our church. And the very first thing she said to us is she said, what do you think the enemy, the devil, is up to in your church? We immediately looked at each other and we said, we know exactly what he's up to. He's about bringing division. He's trying to divide us. She said, yep. I said, it's evident. He's about dividing and conquering. Division. And... Until you realize this, you'll not understand evil's depth, pervasiveness, and its intractability, its, its stubbornness. And so while we were away, we began to hear news of how people were interceding and praying. And, and within this conflict that we were in, there was a group of people that begin to gather here at Desert Breeze. I call them, I, I call them my spiritual warriors, uh, intercessory prayer warriors who begin to rise up led by this sweet couple sitting on the front row, um, Omar and Adele Gonzalez. And let's give them a hand. 
Praise God. Praise God for you guys. And if you've ever heard this gal pray, you want her praying for you. And man, she just pours her heart out to God. They interceded for this church and what was going on. And, and you know why? Because God put it in their hearts and many of your hearts because prayer is an indispensable part of spiritual warfare. And if you want to win the war, you better be on your knees because there's something going on below the surface, below the, the physical uh, conflict that we have going on. There's an enemy and it's not the people in our lives. He's real, and he's coming after us, and he's bringing division. In fact, take a look at your notes. Satan first seeks to divide our hearts and then divide our community. That's what he's up to. That's exactly what he's up to. So he starts with dividing our hearts and then dividing our community. Why does he start with dividing our hearts, dividing our loyalties and, and affections away from God to to other things, other, other people, because if I've got division going on in my heart, I'm going to create division in my life and in my relationships. And in fact, uh, how does he work? Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us what he does in unbelievers. It says that the God of this world, referring to Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What is he up to there? He's trying to keep people from seeing how desirable and satisfying Christ is. That's what he's trying to do. Because no one will bring contentment to your life like Christ. And if, they can, if he can keep you distracted in a way and blinded to that, then, then you're not going to have the peace that only he can give to you. Okay, that's what he's doing to unbelievers. What is he doing to believers? 2 Corinthians 11, 3. Paul says that I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that somehow your hearts or your minds may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So if he's blinding unbelievers, what is he trying to do? He's trying to lead astray believers' hearts away from Christ as being, as being their everything, their, their source of fulfillment and satisfaction. He's trying to lead away your, your heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from him. And so, in fact, what he's trying to do with both believers and unbelievers, or, or unbelievers and believers here, is that he's trying to do, as it says in Romans 1.25, to where we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. That there's something in creation we think is going to satisfy us more than him. And that creates a divided heart. And that divided heart be, is is seen in our life, in our communication, in our interaction with one another. Because if you get in the way of something that's really, really important to me in this physical realm, I'm going to be really upset and really angry. So if I have a divided heart and I'm not operating out of contentment and fulfillment that only he can bring, I'm going to bring disunity into my marriage, into my home, into my life. I mean, think about this. So this counselor asked us, what is the enemy up to? Division. Let me ask you this. What is the enemy up to in our nation right now? Division. I've never seen more division. What is the enemy up to in our marriages? Division. In our homes? Division. In our churches? Division. Dividing our hearts, dividing our community. 
That's what he's up to. That's what he's trained to do. Now, what, is, what does the Bible say? What does God think about division? It tells us in Proverbs, maybe you're familiar with the way the, the writer in Proverbs writes. He says, uh, he says uh, there, are, there are six things that God hates, no seven that are an abomination to him. And as you work through that list of seven, the last two on that list, this is what he says in Proverbs 6, 19. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. That's an abomination to God, yeah. That you would be on that low road sowing discord among brothers as opposed to the high road seeking reconciliation and healing and forgiveness and love. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, Titus is a young pastor. Paul's giving him counsel and insight in how to deal with conflict within his church. And this is what he says. He says, warn a divisive person once and then twice and then have nothing to do with them knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, they are self-condemned. People on the low road are self-condemned. You don't need to worry about them. You need to pray for them. If they're coming after you, as Paul was experiencing attack from people, an accusation, false accusations, you need to pray for them. They're being used by the enemy to bring divisiveness, and they are bringing divisiveness because they have divisiveness happening in their heart. Now, if you're on the low road, obviously you're doing the work of the enemy. And I've I've actually seen people who were on the low road, they would cloak it in righteousness, claiming that they were doing the Lord's work. Let me ask you this. Who are the church's greatest enemies? Are the greatest enemies of the church inside the church or outside the church? Inside the church. Our greatest enemies are always inside the church. I mean, Paul's consistently dealing with that in all of his letters. And when you read through that, you begin to say, these people are all inside the church. The divisiveness that's happening. And so, they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and forms, but one is they, they are modern-day Pharisees. We have modern-day Pharisees. It's easy to fall prey to that. And uh, beware of modern-day Pharisees, those who are very self-righteous, claim to be without sin. They're very judgmental. They have very little joy of the Lord in them. They claim to be on the high road, but their behavior betrays them. And by the way, don't become a Pharisee in dealing with Pharisees. It's easy to fall prey to that. Stay on the high road. It's about truth, forgiveness, love. It's always about reconciliation. It's always about love. It's always about offering forgiveness. It's always about trying to build a bridge. We'll talk more about that and what that looks like. And so, life is a spiritual war, and Satan comes to divide our hearts and then divide our community. That's what he's up to. And so, we got to work on our hearts, don't we? And so the, the rest of this is working on our hearts, the battleground, our strongholds. That's your next big idea here as we work through this. And listen to what he says here. And so 
And, and really what we're talking about here is now, now how does Satan divide our hearts? This is how he works to divide our hearts. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, this is verse 4 of our text, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So, okay, so what are these strongholds? Well, verse 5, he tells us what those strongholds are. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. The word knowledge of God here is not just information about God, but it's intimacy with God. By the way, there's nothing better than intimacy with God. I mean, that's the essence of the Christian life, intimacy with God. And so he's talking about this. So we have to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against this intimacy with God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How many are familiar with the idea of emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence. You guys know what emotional intelligence is? Or, or mindfulness. And those are concepts. They're very biblical concepts. And uh, it's the idea of, of, of that kind of stepping away from yourself and analyzing your thoughts, your, um, your negative thoughts and emotions, and being able to objectively look at them kind of from that third person. We have a great example of that in the Bible uh, in Romans chapter 7. Remember, Paul's talking about his life, and he's saying, the things I, I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. What is that? What's happening? Well, he's, he's mindful of what's going on inside of him, and so he has stepped away from himself, and from a third person, he's looking and analyzing himself. See, the problem is, is oftentimes we're not mindful enough, and we allow those negative thoughts and emotions get a hold of us and drive us into whatever, whatever direction they're leading us. Usually not a very good direction, as you'll see in a few minutes as we talk about that. And so this mindfulness is being aware of what you are thinking and feeling in response to the people, things, and circumstances throughout the day. So that's what you have to learn here, is to be mindful of, of what's going on inside of you as you're, as you're navigating life. Now, Here's your next fill in the blank. Strongholds are habits of thinking, feeling, and behaving we run to for protection in times of trouble and brokenness. So you need to be mindful of that. Mindful of the thoughts and feelings that seem to dominate your mind and heart. You need to think about that. What, what's going on inside of me? Why is this happening? And so strongholds are... In Bible days, they were a castle or a fortress up on a mountain. And um, it's anything on which one fundamentally relies on. He's using that word stronghold. We destroy strongholds. Now, these strongholds are developed in early in life, reinforced through practice, and they become neuro pathways in our brain that become second nature. You guys know what I mean by neural pathways and kind of second nature? When... Uh, when you first were learning how to drive, can, any, can some, of you, some of you think back that far? When you, like me, you're trying to, oh yeah. I actually remember when I first started learning how to drive and you're very conscientious about keeping the car between the lines and uh, as you're looking around, looking in your rearview mirror. Now you do it just like second nature because it's part of that neural pathway. It's no big deal. You just drive all over the road and it doesn't even matter, does it? You just say, oh. No, because it's second nature. That's why we, you can multitask because there's some kind of activities that are just kind of mundane. You've already learned they're part of that reticular activating system within your brain, and they're second nature. So there's strongholds that have become second nature, ways that we learn early on how to respond to brokenness, to sin and suffering and difficulties. 
And, and so listen to what Henry Nouwen says. This is a great quote by him. He says, a part of you was left behind very early in life. Part of you was left behind very early in life. The part that never felt completely received. It is full of fears. Meanwhile, you grew up with many survival skills, but you want yourself to be whole. You hear that? So none of us had perfect parents, and so there were parts of us that were broken, and so we developed these survival skills that oftentimes are, would be classified as strongholds. Second nature, we just kind of go right into them. And, um, and, and these are obviously not good strongholds. These are bad strongholds because we're going to destroy these strongholds because we also know that God is a stronghold. In fact, throughout Scripture, it talks about God being a stronghold. In fact, Psalm 46.1, the Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So that's a stronghold that you would run to, God, as opposed to the other strongholds that we tend to run to. Uh, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are saved. So that's a stronghold. That's a good stronghold. But he's talking about bad strongholds. So let me ask you this question, a number of questions here. Where do you run when you are in trouble? You run somewhere. When you're struggling, when life gets hard, when you're dealing with brokenness in your life, you're going to run somewhere. Everybody runs somewhere, whether you're Christian or non-Christian. Everybody runs somewhere. Where do you run when you are in trouble? Where do you go for comfort, relief, and support? What do you look to for your meaning, hope, and happiness? Where do you go for acceptance, security, and significance? You're going somewhere. And he's saying those strongholds aren't, are going to let you down. They need to be brought down. You need to run to God. Now, I made a list, and you could probably add to this list, but uh, here's the list that uh, I see around me and, and uh, you know, all around us we could see this. Sex, money, power, alcohol, drugs, food, friendships, romance, career, education, health, exercise, home, toys, cars, kids, grandkids, looks, possessions, performance, popularity, perfectionism, workaholism, shopping, social media, surfing the Internet, and you could add to that list I had a guy come up to me last night and, and thanked me for not having fishing and hunting on that list. And I said, I did that purposely just for you, man. And I had someone in the first service this morning say, thank you for not adding that to my list, to your list. But that could be added to the list too. You guys know that. So it's those things we go to for comfort as, as kind of pseudo-saviors, pseudo-counterfeit strongholds. Now, a lot of these things, if not all these things, aren't so bad. They're just good things that have become ultimate things in our lives. So here's what you need to know about strongholds, created strongholds. When you look back in the ancient time, my wife and I, a number of years ago, had an opportunity to go to Scotland and uh, we, we were with the McClanathans who attend here, and it's been a wonderful time there, and we took a train to Edinburgh, and there in Edinburgh, there's this big old castle up on the hill. If you've ever been there, it's just spectacular. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a fortress. It's up on the mountain. You could visit it, and then the little town with it, but the, then the city was kind of below that, and, and that was very typical in ancient times when you had a castle on the mountain with the city 
on the outskirts of it. But when an enemy would come into the city, where would the people run? They would run to the castle on the hill, their, their fortress, their stronghold. And that provided protection. The only problem is, is if the enemy surrounded them and kept, and kept any resources from going in or out of the castle, what provided protection for, for a while eventually became a prison and then a tomb. People died inside there. Created strongholds provide a measure of protection, but eventually they become a prison and then a tomb. It's just a matter of time. And that's what he's saying. Those strongholds need to be brought down. And um, tells us in Romans 8, 5 through 6, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That would be, that would be created strongholds. But for those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That would be the Creator as our stronghold. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Here's the next point on your notes. So we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. So strongholds are habits of thinking, feeling, and behaving we run to for protection in times of trouble in our brokenness. Strongholds are identified by following triggers to overwhelming thoughts and emotions back to their origin. So there's something that happens in your life that triggers negative thoughts and emotions. And so what you have to do is follow those back to its origin. I get this idea of triggers. It's throughout Scripture. It's the word provoke. Galatians 5.26, it tells, tells us not to provoke one another. So um, have you ever had anybody push your buttons? You guys familiar with that term? Yeah. And so we, we've all had people push our buttons. In fact, I think it's good to have a couple of those people in your small group because it forces you to have to deal with those triggers within your own life. Because oftentimes we want to blame it on them. Well, my, they pushed my button. I'm angry because they made me angry. No, no, no. You're angry because, because you have a trigger that needs to be dealt with inside of you. And yeah, they might be mean and ugly and nasty, and that needs to be dealt with, certainly. But they're not the cause of your negative thoughts and emotions. There's, there's a trigger inside of you. They pushed a button because they can't push a button if you didn't have a button, but because you have the button, that's your responsibility. They were able to push that button. And, and so Psalm 42, 5, 11, 43, 5, he's saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You see, he's, he's mindful. He's stepping back and he's saying, why is there so much turmoil in my heart? What's pushing my buttons here? What's going on? So strongholds are identified by following triggers to overwhelming thoughts and emotions back to their origins. So triggers are anything that sparks an intense emotional reaction regardless of your current mood, such as meeting with your boss, talking to your friends about politics, 
Your spouse is overspending, traffic jams and dumb drivers. How many by show of hands would say that uh, traffic jams and dumb drivers are a trigger for you? Okay. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. I know they can be for me, not as much anymore, because my, my wife would draw that to my attention. She says, you have a trigger. No, I don't. Yes, you have. I said I don't. That's a trigger. Yeah, that's, I mean, it just, it's, it's how you respond, your reaction, what's going on. Let me give you an illustration here. You spend the afternoon deep cleaning your house or apartment, and when your spouse or college roommate gets home from work, you wait excitedly for them to comment. Instead, they head to the kitchen for a snack, then settle onto the sofa without saying a word. You're disappointed that your hard work went unacknowledged, and you start to get intensely angry. So it triggers something within you. Now, there are three unhealthy ways of dealing with our painful thoughts and emotions. One is, the, is to just express them. That's the fight. The other one is to suppress them. That would be the flight. And that's actually uh, secondary to the sympathetic nervous system. If you're familiar with the, second th- uh, the sympathetic nervous system, it kicks in fight and flight. And that works really good when you're being mauled by a bear or, or uh, being attacked by someone. You need to fight or flight or what, whatever. But it doesn't work so well in relationships. Does that make sense? And so our natural instinct is go fight or flight, and that doesn't work well. That's not a good way to respond. Because if you fight, you're going to damage and tear up the relationships. But if you flight, which means suppress it down inside of you, you're going to damage and tear up yourself. Or you're going to push it down inside of you, and it's going to build up until you eventually blow up. That can also happen. So what I would oftentimes find myself is doing the fight-flight back and forth, like, oh, man, I can't fight. Well, then I must, I, I've, I've got to suppress it, and that's the flight, and that doesn't work either. And so those are the two ways, two of the ways that it doesn't work, but the third way doesn't work either. Because when we see that fight and flight don't work so well, the next thing is we condemn those negative thoughts and emotions. We condemn them, and that's not how you deal with them either. We, we say things like this. I've got to stop thinking and feeling like this. This is getting the best of me. I just need to get over these thoughts and feelings. And and we might even have well-meaning friends in our small group or in our family that say, yeah, you got to get over this. Stop thinking like that. Come on, stop thinking. Quit quit feeling that. Christians don't feel like that or think like that. And and that's, that's a bad response. That's not a biblical response. Don't, don't condemn them. Why is that? Because overwhelming thoughts and feelings are revealing distinct parts of your soul that need care. This internal conflict is is healing and wholeness trying to happen. And so, so knowing what your emotional triggers are and how to deal with them is a key component to emotional health. So there's that mindfulness. You step away from it and go, why does that guy push my buttons? What in the world is going on in my heart? What, and and it's, it, once again, it's telling you, you need soul care. You need to deal with something deep inside of you. 
So, so don't, don't fight, flight, or condemn. So there's two ways to follow triggers back to their origin. Here's how you deal with it. I talked with you about this last weekend. And the first thing you do is that when you begin to experience inordinate emotions, you must ask yourself, what am I losing right now that has become my life more than Christ? Because you seem to be pretty desperate. And it seems as though something, something really, really important to you is being blocked, threatened, or lost in some way because your emotional response is saying that. So when you begin to experience inordinate emotions, you must ask yourself, what am I losing right now that has become my life more than Christ? It is having this negative effect on my life because it has become my meaning, hope, and happiness more than Christ. It, I'm being controlled by it. So when you're driving and dumb drivers, traffic jams, hit a button in you, something right then is more important to you than your satisfaction in Christ. There's something going on in your heart. You and I must identify those strongholds and replace them with Christ. As I taught you last week, so, so what you have to do is that when you see when you begin to identify them, you're able to say whether it's, you know, if your family's getting the best of you, you have to say, hey, they're not my life. Christ is my life. Your job's getting the best of you. My job's not my life. That's not where I get my identity. It's in Christ. Politics, this country, the direction it's going gets the best of you. First thing you need to do is turn off the news because there's a lot of conspiracy garbage out there and a lot of propaganda. I haven't been watching news for several months now, and I have never been more freer. Of course, I'm kind of walking around all these landmines all around us, but it's just like, it's just, I mean, you, you can be so inundated, so you gotta learn how to regulate that, but at the same time, know that God is in control. This country, the direction of this country is not my life, Christ is my life. And, and so, that's the first thing you do. You must identify those strongholds and replace them with Christ. Here's the second thing. This is a little bit harder. May need some counseling with this one. The second thing, so we're talking about two ways uh, to follow triggers back to their origin. And you do that, the second way is by, by looking for other past situations that made you feel what you are currently feeling. This might happen through journaling or counseling. So let's take it back to the story that I, I shared with you. You spent the afternoon deep cleaning and you didn't get the appropriate response from your spouse or your college roommate. And what will happen is that when you look back in the past, you may find yourself transported back to being a teenager again, trying to make the house look perfect to earn approval from an indifferent parent who traveled a lot. There was something that was broken inside of you back then and so you develop these survival skills and you've continued on to reinforce those almost like they're second nature. And you're desperate for the affirmation of people in your life, not realizing that you have all the affirmation you'll ever need in Christ Jesus. Oh well, your friend doesn't affirm you. Oh my goodness, the God of the galaxies loves you and adores you, gave his life for you. 
And, and when you begin to understand that, you live in the reality of that, you go, well, he's my life. That's, they're not my life. He's my life. Why am I so rattled? Like I'm losing something really important to me. I don't need to be this rattled. He's my life. We look back not to blame but for understanding. And so in dealing with these triggers, the Bible tells us we need to take these, these triggers, these negative thoughts and emotions back to bring them back to God and let him reorder them. That's why I love the book of Psalms. It's the, the big, biggest book in the Bible, and it's just of raw emotion. I mean, in that book, there's statements like this. The psalmist is just bringing it to God. Bathe my feet in the blood of my enemies. Consume my enemies with your burning anger. Let my enemies be caught in their own traps. I love those verses. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, those are actually called imprecatory prayers to invoke judgment upon your enemies. But actually what you see is he's bringing this raw emotion and over time God begins to soften his heart. He begins to actually love his enemies and pray for his enemies. That would mean that you're on the right track. But if you come to God, there's nothing wrong with bringing that raw emotion to God. Oh my goodness, God, I want them to be wiped out. I want them to be destroyed. But in time, as he gets a hold of your heart, he reorders your thoughts and in emotions, oh my goodness, you begin to have, you're on the high road, truth, forgiveness, love, freedom. That's what he has for us. Here's the, the next one. Strongholds are being destroyed when you are able to respond to triggers or brokenness with your spirit-led self. Galatians 5, 16 through 17, it says, Walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, because the flesh and the Spirit are warring against each other. So high road, low road, they're warring against each other. We naturally want to go to the low road, but he's saying, no, you need to take the high road. It's supernatural. That's where the Spirit's leading. And, and, the, and, and you know when you're taking the high road because then he goes on. He says, walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, verses 22 through 23. He tells us that this is what, is what will be produced in your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter the brokenness that you're experiencing, no matter how ugly people may be towards you, you're able to experience in the midst of that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, that's supernatural. That's absolutely supernatural. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Yes. That's what God is doing in our lives. And uh, my wife and I have been memorizing. It's another way of looking at the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, the, it's these C words. And... Uh, I forgot how many there are. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight C words. They're on your notes. And so as we've been processing the hits we've taken through the years and, and responding to people appropriately, the C words help us. We memorize these so that we can make sure that we were responding appropriately. And it starts with calmness. Holy Spirit brings calmness to our life. That's why sympathetic nervous system doesn't help because it kicks in. It's fight or flight. And then we try to push those feelings down. No, 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 no. God wants to bring calmness to you regardless of what you're facing. And calmness brings clarity. By the way, you can't have clarity without calmness. But when you're in the heat of the battle, 
I mean, and you're not thinking clearly, and you get all upset, and you get angry, and yeah, you start saying things you probably shouldn't say because there's no clarity. So calmness, clarity, and then curiosity. Like, how long have you wanted to kill me? You begin to ask people those kind of questions. Maybe not quite like that. You probably should stay away someone that's trying to kill you. But you know what I'm talking about. It's like, so what's going on? I'm sorry. I didn't realize I'd hurt you so badly. Tell me more. Man, I, I love you. I'm so sorry that my words and actions brought such hurt to you. See, that's a curiosity. And then compassion. You offer compassion. And then there's confidence in your identity in Christ and courage to speak the truth in love. And then there's creativity because, man, you want to bridge the gap that separates you from that other person. You're going to do everything you can. You're going to be creative. How can I get a hold of their heart? How can I help them to see Christ more clearly so that they won't have a divided heart? And you got the creativity, and then, of course, you got connectedness because that's ultimately the goal. And so... You don't have to be overwhelmed by your thoughts and feelings. You, you have the ability to lead them guided by the Holy Spirit. In any moment, you can choose whether to walk with the Spirit or to go your own way. Your task is to trust neither your thoughts nor your feelings, but to lead them in step with God's Spirit and His Word. I wish I could tell you that I have this nailed down, but I don't. I'm still working on this myself. And I'm wanting God to continue to do his work in my life and our lives here. Let me uh, somewhat end with this. I'll give you the fill in the blanks for the rest of it. Most of that you'll get a chance to study on your own. But uh, this is from a book that my wife and I found very helpful. It's called Boundaries for the Soul, How to Turn Your Overwhelming Thoughts and Feelings into Your Best Allies. Listen to what it says. Imagine you're a school bus driver. But instead of driving, you're sitting in the back row hoping for the best. Little kids take turns at the steering wheel as the bus jolts this way and that. The kids are scared, but they don't know what else to do except wrestle for the wheel. Finally, you stand up, you walk forward calmly, take charge, the kids settle back, Relieved that a capable adult is finally taking the lead. Like in a one runaway bus, problems arise in your soul when various parts of you wrestle for the wheel. In fact, you could think of any emotional issue as a cluster of entrenched parts that have taken over the leadership of your soul. You're not living calm, clear leadership. You lose your sense of perspective. Chaos ensues, and you feel completely overwhelmed. Change starts with realizing, I'm letting the kids drive the bus. You have what it takes to take charge of your unruly thoughts and feelings when you're leading, when you're leading from your spirit-led self. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't let the kids drive the bus. <laughs> so how are these strongholds destroyed? They're destroyed by God's word. 
So it's not human effort, verse 2, but by, by divine power, verse 4. Look at verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I like what A.W. Tozer says. He says, what comes, what comes into your mind when you think about God is perhaps the most important thing about you. So your concept of God not only determines the quality of your relationship with God, if your relationship with God is kind of flat, it's because you've got to have a really low concept of God right now. If, you don't, if you're not just head over heels in love with him, you have a low concept of God. If you just don't want him more than anything, you have a low concept of God. Your concept of God determines the quality of your relationship with God. It also determines what you're going to communicate to others about God, but it also determines whether or not suffering and difficulties and brokenness in this world drives you away from God or drives you deeper into God. Difficulties for believers that have a right concept of God, those difficulties make them wiser and stronger and deeper and more intimate with God. That's, that's what happens. That's what he's wanting to do in our lives through our difficulties. And so the, the best defense against the lies in your head is the rehearsal of God's word in your heart. How do I know that I'm on track? Well, it tells us in uh, John 8, 31 and 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lies bring bondage, truth brings freedom. I'm telling you, there's a freedom in Christ that is beyond your wildest dreams. And when you walk in the reality of the truth of who Christ is, who God is, and who you are, it brings freedom. In fact, the next couple fill in the blanks, destroying lies about God. So we have to destroy lies about God. Here's a few lies. You can study these on your own. God is holding out on, on me. Obeying God is suicide. God has, uh, has lost control. And then destroying lies about yourself. I must achieve my acceptance and identify, identity in Christ. No, it's received. It's received through Christ. It's not okay to be human and, and show human weakness and make mistakes. No, that's perfectly fine. That's why, why we come to Christ. In fact, his, his power is made perfect in our weakness. I'm too messed up for God to use. Have you read the Bible lately? It's, it's, there's only one hero in the Bible, and it's Christ Jesus, and it's made up of a bunch of messed up people that God works in their lives. So that's a lie. So, so here's, here's where we're going to transition because we're going to take communion this morning. Here's what I want you to understand. If you had any idea, the slightest idea of what God thinks about you, did you know that it tells us in Psalm 139 that his thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore? That's crazy. He thinks thoughts about you, the God of the galaxies. If you had any idea what he thinks about you, how he feels about you, he has deep affection for you, unlike anybody else. So much that he sent his son on a rescue mission to redeem you, to restore you, to love you. It's beautiful. It's amazing. If you had any idea what he thinks about you, how he feels about you, what he wants to do in and through your life, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. If you had it just... Just a 
small view of the fact that the God of the galaxies thinks about you and how he feels about you, what he wants to do in and through your life. Listen to me. You can face anything if that was true. If you really got rid of the lies, the conspiracy theories in your brain as it relates to God and and yourself, I'm telling you, you could face anything in your life with love, joy, peace. You wouldn't back down from anything because you'd realize that God is for you and not against you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, help us to be more alert and vigilant against the enemy who seeks to divide our hearts and then divide our community. Help us to uncover strongholds in our lives by by following triggers to overwhelming thoughts and emotions back to their origin. Teach us how to apply your your word, your truth to the painful thoughts and emotions that that result from our woundedness so so that we will not end up on the low road hurting ourselves and others unnecessarily but on the high road of truth and forgiveness and and love. May we experience more and more wholeness in this broken world by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. In his beautiful name we pray. And everyone said amen. They're going to be passing out the, uh, the communion elements. Take both cups, hang on to them, and then I'll walk us through the process. Be thinking about the triggers in your own life. Think back over the last week and things that might have triggered some negative thoughts and emotions in your own life and and begin to uncover the origin of that. Allow God to meet you right there as we take communion here this morning. So our tendency is to run to created strongholds when we have a lot of negative thoughts and emotions kind of overwhelming us. Here's, some, here's, here's our creator stronghold that we need to run to. This is a, some soul care verses that I, I have regularly run to when I'm struggling. I've run to these verses. and, and they're, 
they're among many verses that I have in my arsenal. But Psalm 34, 17 through 19. When the righteous cry out, the Lord hears them and delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, why, why can we claim those verses? Because we know this, Romans 8, 31 and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? It's called gospel logic. If he took care of our worst problem, our eternal separation from him by sending his son to die in our place for our sins, it's basically saying, I got all of your other problems covered too. And when we take communion, that's what he's saying. We can celebrate. You know what? Even in the midst of all the trauma and the difficulties and the brokenness, God, you offer me healing and hope. You offer me the high road of truth about you and about myself and forgiveness and love and life and freedom. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's drink together my wife and I will be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders and uh, if you are new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we'd love to pray for you. Next weekend, you do not want to miss that weekend service. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness. You can read ahead. It's in Matthew 18. Read that chapter. The key to the healing in our hearts is, is learning forgiveness and what that means. There's a lot of misconceptions about that. We'll talk about it next weekend. So let me bless you here with this blessing found in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said, amen. Love you guys.